Uh, you know, on a personal note, my family's been going through a lot of ups and downs for these past couple months, and I decided today that I was going to share one of the good things that's been happening with my family. We just celebrated the second birthday of my youngest daughter, little Josie Ann. And uh, two is kind of a weird age because as those of you that have kids know, you're starting to get to the place where there's a little bit of mischief to go along with all the fun and joy that they bring you. We just got Josie a big girl bed. And basically what that means is now we've taken the bars off so it's easier for her to get out. So nightly we play a little game. We put her down. Uh, 30 seconds later, she gets out of bed. She opens the door and then continues to play. I don't know why she opens the door. She just wants us to know that, that she's, she knows. Uh, and she then continues to play until she hears us coming. And then she's trying to scramble back up into bed before we get there. And we get in and I go, Josie, you know you're not supposed to be doing that. And she looks at me with that little two-year-old grin. And she knows it's just enough to melt daddy's heart. She's trying so hard to get out of trouble, you know. I've never met somebody before that could wake me up at 6 in the morning and make everything okay because they just wanted to snuggle. But that's Josie's regular habit. Hi, Mom and Dad. I know it's way too early, but I just want to hang out with you guys. It's like, all right, kid, climb up here. We're good, you know. And it got me thinking, we're, we're celebrating her second birthday. It kind of got me thinking back to what it was like when we found out we were expecting Josie. You know, it's interesting because you have a relationship with your child even before they get here. You know, it's different. It's wonderful and it's weird, and, but, but it's still a relationship with them. You know, when you find out that you're expecting a child, you immediately, at least for me, you start thinking about how much money you've got to save to be able to afford this kid and what, what diapers are going to cost and food's going to cost. And you start putting money away and you start saving up for them coming into the world. For you ladies that are here, you know that going through a 115 degree summer with a little oven sitting on top of you is not particularly exciting, but you do it for love, right? Uh, I noticed with, with Lydia, with Josie, that uh, she really craved orange chicken from Panda Express. Now, I like Panda Express. That was a pretty good deal for me. But since Josie has gotten here, we have not had Panda Express once together because the craving is gone. It was a special meal that Josie needed to be able to get into this world, and we did it. But now she's here, and we're done, right? It's absolutely amazing. When your, kid, when your child's not here and you're waiting for them to show up, you know, you, one of the things you love to do is you start to begin to think about what are they going to be like? What's their little personality going to be like? What's it going to be like having them in this world? And then, of course, they show up. And you start seeing the things that make them laugh and make them giggle. And you start seeing the things that make them upset, the actual foods they like and don't like. You start seeing the things that they do that make your heart smile. It's just a, just a wonderful experience. And it's very interesting how God works it, that even when they're not here, there's a lot of joy and a lot of fun to be had with them. But then, of course, when they get here, it's just like the fulfillment of all that waiting. Today, we're going to be talking about something uh, in the Christian life that's a little bit similar. It's this idea that we call the already, not yet of the Christian life. What I'm talking about is a tension that we live in as believers. That each and every day that we are on this earth, that we are a part of this life, we are called to live for Jesus. We're called to live for his glory. We're called to walk with him. 
But the truth is, is that the things that we see and experience in our Christian life today are going to be made richer and fuller in the life to come. I mean, it's, it's very easy. Just think about it with me for a second. Today we know the joy of our salvation. We walk with our God. We get to see the, and have the joy and the experience with Him. Go through difficult things. And we know that He's there. We know that He's with us. But in eternity... We are going to get to stand in the very presence of God. We are going to get to be in a place where there is no more weeping or hurting or pain. We are going to get to, to literally the light that we experience is going to be the light coming from our Savior. It kind of sounds a little bit better even though today's pretty good, right? That's what I'm talking about. You know, when we step out in faith today, we, we do so knowing that God's got us. We know that God's going to be with us. We know that God's taking care of us. But there is a day coming when our faith is going to be made sight, when we are going to stand face to face with Jesus, worshiping him in his presence. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. Now, I want to be careful because the term already not yet is used by many circles, many tribes within the Christian faith. And some take it and they use it in a completely different way of how I'm saying it. So I want to be very clear. When we talk about the already not yet, what we're talking about is that tension that a believer lives in of tasting and experiencing the Christian life today. And knowing that one day we are going to taste and experience it in an even fuller way in eternity. Just like a, a, a parent with an expecting child, gets to know them and enjoy them in a certain way while we're waiting for them to show up and in a fuller way when they get here. You know, I think about worship, right? I, I've worshiped God all over the world. Um, I've done it in the 8 o'clock service, and I've done it in the 9.30, and I've worshiped God in Osaka, Japan. I've worshiped God in Israel. I have worshiped God in Nicaragua. wish I was there today. It'd be kind of fun, right? I have seen some incredible services where people were standing with arms held high, worshiping and praising the God of the universe with all that they have. And you want to know the truth? It's an amazing time. But there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that is going to be a worship service unlike one that we have ever experienced in the history of humankind because it's the kind that only God can do and everyone is going to be a part. It's going to be an amazing day, don't you think? It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for that day. But until then, when we're living this life, we're living this Christian life, uh, we can still worship God, we can still praise Him, but we do it looking forward to that day. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Paul is talking about that day that is to come as well as what God has already done titled this message, Worship in the Already Not Yet, because I think that's really what Paul's getting at here. And we're going to take a look at some of the different players in our worship when we get to that day and how it looks today. So Philippians chapter 2, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, I'll just summarize it very quickly for you. Paul tells the Philippian believers, hey, listen, I want you to be unified. They say, well, Paul, exactly how are we supposed to be unified? You help us out with that. And he goes, no problem. Be humble. Okay, I can be humble, I guess. They're not being humble. How exactly are we supposed to be humble? Who's our example? Your example is Christ. You want to look at some, this is the ultimate trump card, by the way. When you look at Christ, you are going to see the ultimate example of humility. 
And now he adds here in verse 9 a little preview of what it's going to be like on that day. And he says in Philippians 2, 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul paints an amazing picture here, and I think to understand the depths of it, we almost need to take a step back and understand what Christ went through to get to this moment. Because before Christ was exalted, he came to earth in his humiliation. Christ, who was God, who was owed all the worship, all the praise, every adulation that we could possibly give him, was willing to put those things aside to come to earth to serve us, to come to earth to serve his Father. He chose to become a man, to replace his royal robes with the rags of a carpenter. To go from a royal throne to sitting on a manger in an inn where there was no room. To go from the angelic hosts of heaven praising and worshiping him to a world where he was going to be misunderstood and hated and ultimately crucified. Jesus chose to do this for us, for his father. And now this same Jesus who chose humiliation is being exalted above all others and is having bestowed on him by God the name which is above every name, the name Lord. Now as I was studying this week, I, I gotta be honest, I, I figured out that I a little bit misunderstood this passage because I've always under, understood that the name they're talking about here is the name Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. And I didn't catch that last part. But as I was studying it, it became really clear to me that the significance of this is not the fact that Christ was given the name Jesus. He was given that name in his humiliation. When he came to earth, he was given a common name that common men have, and that was the name Jesus. In Hebrew, that's Yeshua. We use that name still today because in English, it's Joshua. There's all sorts of people named Joshua. There's not significance to that other than that it's a nice name. It's a beautiful name. If you have it, great for you. You did good. The name that is significant here is the name Lord. Jesus was given the name Lord. In fact, it's interesting when you study the Old Testament, one of the things that you see is that the name Lord that was used for God, Yahweh, when the Hebrew scholars were reading the scriptures, they actually did not read Yahweh because it was too holy. It was too sacred. We're not going to use that name for God because it's too sacred. So when they would come to it, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai because they didn't want to belittle the name. They didn't want to lose the sacredness of it. And now here, Jesus is being given that name, that term, Lord. He is our Lord. The Greek word is kurios, and it has the idea of being a ruler. And in Christ's case, it's really this divine, supreme ruler over all things, because the significance here is that he's being given the name of God. In other words, Paul is acknowledging that Jesus was, is given the name that only God has, it carries the divine right, the divine authority of God. It is God's name. Now, we don't live in England. It's not particularly in our wheelhouse to understand the whole like knighting thing, right? Where you're bestowed a name. But this is huge. Christ is given a place of honor that is bigger than anything this world can possibly imagine. It's given the honor of God. 
He is exalted. He is to be worshiped. He is to be praised. And it's here that we really begin to see this already not yet idea coming up because the truth is, is that we as believers are called to worship God now. We're called to praise him. We're called to lift his name high, to honor the king, to sing, and to worship our God. But the truth is, that's not what the whole world's doing right now. The text is clear. Christ has been exalted. It's in the aorist tense. It's past. God has already done this. But there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue is going to give Christ the praise that he deserves because he is Lord. That day is not today. And I kind of think, wow, it's going to be an absolutely amazing day when Jesus shows up and we have the greatest worship service of all time. Am I right? You know, I don't know if I'm giving you guys too much credit, but I'm just going to give a little inside baseball here. I lead worship week in and week out at this church. And one of the things that I think about all the time is what it looks like for us to have a heart of praise to God. Now, you guys may not mean this when you, when you do this, but after the offering, there's a really cool thing that happens. Now, some of you may not like it. That's fine. Don't tell me. But uh, after the offering, we're singing a song, and all of a sudden, I'll just see somebody pop up, you know? It's usually somebody in the front row, right? They'll pop up, and everybody sees them. They start standing, and you may just be going, I can't see the slide. Like, I need to get up over the person in front of me. But when I see that, and again, maybe too much credit, my honest thought is, this is amazing. We're all worshiping Jesus together. We're, we're hearing the truth. We're singing the truth. And as we're thinking about who our king is, we can't help but stand and praise him. God, you are worthy of all my praise. Lord, thank you. I want my posture to match my heart of worship to you. It's awesome. But I got to tell you, I'd love to have a God's eye view on the day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I mean, it's going to be incredible. People bowing the knee and looking up and they're seeing Christ. Maybe some of them, you know, just, just being overwhelmed and going, this is the Lord of the earth. This is God. This, he deserves all the, the praise, everything. He is exalted. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Something we've never experienced in the history of this world before. And it's what he deserves. The interesting thing is, though, Christ deserves all the praise. He deserves to be exalted. He is worthy of it. But it wasn't really his central purpose in being exalted that he get all the praise and all the glory. He's worthy of it, but his purpose and his exaltation isn't an end into itself. Instead, even Christ's exaltation has a higher purpose. And that's the glory of God. Did you see that in verse 10 as we were reading? The name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. Even in his exaltation, all the glory goes to God. You know, it's kind of funny, and I, I love this because Jesus, of course, is the perfect example of what it means to live a, a, a human life to God, right? He came down to this earth. He didn't think mean things. He was never on Twitter putting, you know, uh, casting shade at people. Like, he was just always loving. He was always focused on serving people. He didn't do anything wrong. 
But Jesus is also the ultimate example for us of what it means to give glory to God in our life, right? Like Jesus, more than anybody else, could have bragged. Like he showed up and, and, and they had, you know, palm trees. They're waving for him at the triumphal entry. I mean, he's doing miracles. There's all these times when he could have been like, you know what, God, I'm giving you 95% of the glory. I'm going to take a little bit for me, though, too. Let's just, let's just go ahead and hear it for Jesus, right? Like he could have done that at any point. He deserved it. But no, it was always for the glory of God. In fact, it's interesting. In John chapter 12, after the triumphal entry, Jesus is talking to some people and he begins to share about what's to come, about his death. And he says in John chapter 12, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Fathers, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I think for most of us here today, it's kind of hard to understand that idea. The truth is, we live in a society, in a world, that's kind of about getting credit, okay? I'll mow your grass, I'll do that for you, but I'm going to come stand at your door, and you're going to tell me thank you for mowing your grass. That's a big, that's important. Uh, we had somebody one time who, uh, I, you guys probably don't know this person, I'll, I think it's okay to share, uh, who fixed a vacuum cleaner for us, and when the vacuum cleaner was returned, it came with a, a, a bill. No charge. Just wanted to make sure you saw that I helped you out, okay? No charge, but also, you know, thank you to me. It's kind of how we are. Get to the end of a Marvel movie, right? You're waiting for that 15 seconds. It's going to tell you about the next cookie-cutter Marvel film. And before you can get there, there's like 20 minutes of just names scrolling, right? And it seems to get longer every time. They're finding new people to thank. They're like, oh, yeah, this guy gave Robert Downey Jr. a sandwich. His name's on there. He said hello to me in the hall. He's there. You know, it's just we want credit. So I was trying to think of like, what are even some examples of this that we see in our life? And, you know, I think about people like the heroes of 9-11, you know, they're not running away from the buildings, they're running to it. What can I do? Who can I help? It doesn't matter what happens to me, I just want to help people. I've got to help people. This is bigger than me. I think about uh, missionaries like Jim Elliott and others who gave their life so that the gospel could go forward all over the world. I mean, awesome examples of people that were about something bigger than themselves. But there is no one who has done it as well or as perfectly as Jesus. Jesus, who was willing to come and die, yes, to save us, but also for a greater design to give glory to God. Was willing to become a man, to live like us, to put up with our smells and our inconsistencies and our untruthfulness for the glory of God who was willing to go to the cross for the glory of God, who was willing to raise from the dead for the glory of God, who is now seated and exalted for the glory of God. Of course it's for the glory of God because everything that Jesus does is for the glory of God. And the wonderful, scary, terrifying truth is that if we're here today, that's supposed to be our focus too. Everything we do is to be for the glory of God. I call the, the last point humanity's humble worship of the king because I don't, I don't think it could be any clearer what our role is in this passage. It says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus has been, is, and will be exalted as Lord. God gets all the glory for it. Our job as humanity, our role, is to humbly worship the King. That's what we're called to do. We're called to praise God. We're called to live for Him. We're called to give glory to God in all that we do. And it's, it, it's fascinating because if you think about it, this idea of already not yet, that there is a day coming when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Really for us as a believer, that day is a culmination of this life. God, I, I live with heart bowed to you every day. I was serving you. I was walking with you. I was bringing glory to you. I was in praise services on Sunday and that worship was all right, but this is amazing. God, I can't believe how incredible you are. It is like the fulfillment of that. It's awesome. And it's interesting because Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, I don't know if you guys know this, but he's actually quoting Isaiah 45. He's actually quoting Isaiah 45 where God talks about every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. But it's not the only place in the New Testament that Paul quotes this passage. He also quotes it in Romans chapter 14. Brothers and sisters in Christ struggling with judging one another. This is what he says, Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. For the Christian, we have to understand that our life is lived before God and our life is to be lived to the glory of God. Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now it shouldn't shock or surprise anyone what I'm about to say. If we're going to live to the glory of God, the way that we're going to have to do that is with a humble heart like Jesus. Remember, this passage builds on itself. Paul's telling the believers, you've got to be humble. You've got to have a heart like Christ. Christ's heart was that everything was to the glory of God. And if our eyes aren't fixed on Christ, if our eyes aren't fixed on our God, we are not going to be able to live humbly to him. Because this life has got enough issues of its own that we can be constantly distracted when we're supposed to be living for him. Whether it's fear or anxiety, pain, hurt, loss, selfishness, ego, pride, we can run the gamut. But the truth is, is that if we can't keep our eyes fixed on Christ, it's going to be tough when we go through the hard things of life. When God asks us to step out in faith and tell that family member about Jesus... It's so easy to say, God, I want to. It would be great, but I just, I'm uncomfortable with that. And yeah, I know you want me to do it, but I just, I don't want to. God, God, I, I know that I got this new boss at work, and I know that I'm supposed to love them, but they're just, they're just a jerk, and I just would rather go gossip about them at work and call them names because they're a jerk. God, I'm going through pain. I'm going through suffering, I'm going through hurt, I'm going through loss. Where are you? Forgetting that Jesus went through more hurt, pain, loss, and suffering, he knows right where we are. God, thanks, but no thanks, I'm out. When we struggle, it's hard to follow the Lord. 
When following God means sacrificing what we want, we struggle to take that step of faith. But a humble heart with eyes fixed on Jesus will persevere. My favorite definition of humility isn't necessarily thinking less of ourselves. I think that's just another kind of pride when we put ourselves down. To me, the definition of humility is I'm just not thinking about myself at all. Too busy thinking about God. Too busy thinking about how I'm going to glorify God. Too busy thinking about how I'm going to serve others to the glory of God. God, I want to be about you. God, it doesn't matter if this is what I want to do because I'm about your business. That's why I'm here. I'm a believer in Christ. I want to live Christ to those around me. Everything I have is yours. And maybe the reason why that definition resonates with me so much is because I saw it lived out for 31 years. You know, I really appreciate you guys for praying for my family as we've walked through the loss of my grandfather. It's, it's been uh, tough. But I've never seen somebody live out a humble heart of worship and a, a God-focused life the way that my grandfather did. He had more than enough reason to brag. You know, he, he had churches of 500 that he's taken to 2,500. He, he traveled around the world six times telling people about Jesus. He had person after person after person whose life was impacted by his ministry. He could have bragged about that anytime he wanted, but he didn't. He had more than enough reason to complain, to be upset with God, to walk away. He lost a wife. One of those trips around the world, he came back and got there and the board said, hey, you've done a really good job. You've grown this ministry to be thousands of people. That's great, but you're a pastor and we want a businessman to run it now. You're out. Could have been bitter. Could have been upset. Could have told that story in, in a God doesn't have this and I had to deal with it and why God, why way. But he never did. Instead, every time he would ever tell a story, my grandfather always made absolutely sure that I knew it was, it was God and it wasn't him. In fact, I was talking to him and I said, I'd really like to like, you know, do some memoirs with you and let's, you know, let's get some of these stories down. They're incredible. And he said, he said Jamie, I just want to make one thing clear. These stories are, are not about putting me first. These are, these are stories about how God can use a nobody to do great things. Is that our heart? Is that how we look at this life? God, what can I do to serve you? Lord, what are the ways that I can reach out and be you in, in this life? Who is that person that I can tell? Yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm embarrassed. It doesn't matter if I feel uncomfortable. I just want to do what you want me to do. God, I got a person in my life. I was just talking to somebody after the 930 service was sharing a very similar story. God, I've got somebody in my life that I just, I hate them. I don't like them. I I don't want a part of them. But your word tells me to forgive. Your word tells me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. And I got to give it to you because what you want is more than what I want. And I got to trust you. I got to bow my heart to you. Lord, I know you want me to step out in faith. I know you want me to not be greedy. I know you want me to be generous, but it's hard. Believers that are here today, there's a day coming when every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to f- confess, and we're going to give an account. Do we live for Him? We're going to be there, and we're going to be worshiping and praising God. And I don't know about you, but I, I would just love on that last day to be able to say, God, I, I didn't have much, but I gave you what I had, and I live for you with all that I have. You know, I got to tell you, one of the reasons why I'm really excited for that day when we're all going to be standing there and worshiping God together is just the fact that I'm going to get to see my grandpa again. 
and I'm going to be able to look across at him, and I'm going to be able to see his, <laughs> his body regenerated, glorified, wonderful. And I'm going to get to see him praising God, worshiping him, rejoicing in faith made sight. It's going to be an amazing day. Truth is, though, Christians aren't the only ones that are going to be standing there on that day. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And there are going to be a lot of people there that are on that day that don't know Jesus. And there may be some in this room that haven't accepted Christ as their Savior, and I've got to be honest with you. Scripture's pretty clear. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And that's a scary thing if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Because you're going to see Jesus, you're going to see who he is, you're going to see him exalted, you're going to bow the knee, you're going to look up and you're going to start praising him, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I missed it. I missed it. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, can I just tell you, I want desperately for you to not have to go to that day having missed it. Scripture is very clear, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to eternal relationship with God. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite writers, said to bow the knee today means salvation. To bow the knee on that day means condemnation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, if we close our service, I'm going to be over there by the prayer banner. I would love to tell you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Maybe you're here today as a believer you want to live to the glory of God. You want to serve him. You want to walk with Jesus, but you're struggling. You need prayer. I'd love to pray with you today about that. As we close our service, I just want to remind you one more time, there's an incredible worship service coming. It's one unlike the world has ever seen. It's going to be one of the greatest days of, of eternity. That day when every knee bows, when every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope you're excited for that day. And I hope that each one of us lives for that day today.